Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 7. We're going to continue in our journey with the children of Israel and the return from captivity. Uh, Zechariah chapter 7. If you have trouble finding it, go to Matthew and go back two books. It's, uh, it's pretty quick. We, uh, we appreciate all the prayers uh, from the saints. Uh, Wednesday, I heard you guys were praying for me, for my family. Uh, we do greatly appreciate that. And uh, we had a wonderful time in Hawaii. It's uh, almost impossible not to, um, especially the way we do it. We don't really do anything. Uh, we get up, we go in the pool, we eat, we go in the ocean, we eat more, we nap, and we read. Um, so we had a wonderful time. Uh, we fellowshiped with some of the saints on the island there on the Lord's Day. Um, so it's always a joy to be in a different location, meet with like-minded people, and we have the greatest thing in the world in common, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, uh, it's really just a special thing, actually, to meet somebody that you didn't know before and uh, to have so much in common that it, you do feel like family. Uh, so we uh, appreciate Rick uh, letting us know about the assembly over there, and uh, we just we really had a good time. Uh, Zechariah chapter 7 uh, and 8, we're going to hopefully be getting through, Lord willing, 7 this morning, 8 tonight, and it's, it's the same context flowing through both chapters. Uh, it's this question that the children of Israel now have about these fasts that have been instituted during the captivity. Um, judgment has come to the children of Israel. Uh, about 90 years ago, they were sent into captivity. They began to do these fasts uh, to really, in a sense, commemorate the judgment that they were under at the time. And now it's about 20 years removed from being back in the land, and a question's about to come up, well, what do we do about these fasts? So uh, what we're going to look at and how we're going to try to apply this to ourselves today as we go through this chapter we're going to see the state the children of Israel were in at the time, uh, the questions they were asking, why those questions would come up at this given time, and we're going to try to relate it to ourselves. How can we draw application from this? Uh, originally, taking up this portion of Scripture uh, and the return from captivity, I did so because it seemed the most applicable to our own lives uh, in what we see in the Old Testament to what we're going through now. Uh, specifically here in Claremont, uh, the, the things that the children of Israel struggle with. Before the captivity, we see that they were struggled greatly with idolatry. They had this um, difficult thing. They couldn't shake worshiping other gods. They couldn't shake putting other things before the Lord. It was just something that continued to come up and continued to come up. And though they had times of revival, it always seemed to go back to this uh, idolatry. Well, they eventually were sent into captivity, and when they came out, um, we see that they don't really struggle with idolatry in the same sense. Um, they do have a struggle, though, with this formal, mechanized religion that they're a part of, where we do this at this time a certain way, and the testimony of the children of Israel turns into they worship a God that doesn't care about the heart of the person. They worship a God that only cares if you put the one drop here, seven drops there, three drops here, pour the blood out there, this sacrifice here, the fat goes there. You can eat some of this one. You can't eat some of that one. It became this mechanism. And uh, if you were disobedient, this and that, you just brought the sacrifice, and God was, was happy at that. Um, so we see the problem. 
their testimony is that they have a God that doesn't really care about the character of the person. And uh, looking around, we, we, we can fall into that same formal religion. We come every week. Uh, so we're going to be looking at these issues that the children of Israel are going through, and we're going to be focusing on this beginning portion. And I'm going to try to draw as much application out of it as I can, because I think it is the most like I said, applicable to our current situation. Uh, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to read the whole chapter and then come back and go through it um, verse by verse. Uh, so chapter 7, verse 1. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev, when the people sent Sherezer with Regamelech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those seventy years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened just that just as he proclaimed and they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known, Thus the land they had not known. Uh, thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. As we begin to look at this portion, uh, one of the things I want to point out in the very beginning is uh, it gives a very definite time stamp of when this uh, situation occurred. And we see that the, the word of the Lord coming to the prophet really looks like it was brought on by the question that these two men came to ask on behalf of the people. Uh, so what we want to steer clear from, what I personally want to steer clear from this morning, is, is putting any kind of uh, undue uh, judgment on the children of Israel for being in the position that they're in. Um, we want to give them the credit where the credit is due. They have repented at this current time. They are being blessed. They are being obedient. They are building the temple. And really, they're doing what God wants them to do and has brought them to this position where they ask this question that for 20 years they didn't see any point in asking. Uh, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, why are we fasting in the fifth and seventh month? One of the issues I have with it, though, is it gives this time stamp based on the rule of Darius. So we see they're currently under these times of the Gentiles, which we are currently experiencing and we have this idea that it was in the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev. So it gives this date, and Chislev would have been November, December of the time period. Um, the fifth month that they're referring to would have taken place like in August. Um, 
So they're asking a question that really doesn't bear any issue for another eight months. Uh, they just had these fast, uh, they got into this point, and somehow it's been a, a, a point of discussion between all of the people that they feel the need to send these two individuals, not to wait until a certain time, but it's been brought up now, send them now to the house of the Lord, to the priests and the prophets, and let's get an answer. We want to know now, and we want to know uh, what, what the mind of the Lord is. The problem is, they, though they were experiencing this time of revival, though they were experiencing this time of, of growth, they were not able to discern the mind of God themselves. They did not have this uh, relationship with God where they could look at what they were doing, they could think of what the Lord has asked them to do, the character of God, and they couldn't come to a conclusion. So they did what they figured was the best opportunity to go and to pray at the house of the Lord and then to ask the priest and the prophets. Um, we're going to get a little insight that the priest didn't know what to do either. Um, and the prophet didn't know until the word came to him. So they were in this position where they had trouble discerning uh, what God wanted them to do. And I think sometimes in our own personal lives, maybe we have this issue. Uh, you know, the, the common uh, thought for the, the young people's meetings and nights and things like that with the speaker, the question's going to come up, you know, what is the will of God in my life? And really what they're saying, though they don't know it, is how do I discern the mind of God? How can I be in a situation and be close enough relationship with the Lord that when the situation comes, I know what he would have me to do? Um, it's not an answer that can be given right then and there, unfortunately. Um, we see that God does not right away answer this question. He wants to get the people to focus on the condition of their hearts. And that's what we're going to try to do this morning. Uh, this morning, I don't want to tell you to do something. I don't want to just give you a list of things that you go and do. But I hope to stir up this heart, this mindset, to have that, that type of a relationship with the Lord where we can discern the mind of the Lord for ourselves. And if we get to that position like these people did, where we admit we cannot, to be humble enough to come and to ask someone else to help, uh, to, 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 to seek counsel, to, to have this opportunity for the Lord to bless us as individuals. Uh, so that's, that's one thing we just want to point out in the beginning. So th this is the position that they're in. This is the, the question that they're asking. They send these two men, Sherezer and Regan Melek. Uh, we don't know much about them. Uh, there's not really any background given. These are just the two men chosen. So we would imagine that these two are um, somewhat notable people that uh, they would feel writing them down, people would remember who they are. Um, these two men were sent with a group of men, uh, some of your translations might say from Bethel, uh, so they were coming down and they were asking, what do we do? So they asked the priests, Lord of hosts, and the prophet saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? And we notice the question maybe strikes home with us. Um, Maybe our question is, should I continue in the camp ministry that I've been participating in for so many years? Should I continue in Sunday school teaching as I have done for so many years? Should I continue in regular attendance at the meetings like I've done for so many years? It's this question that comes up that they've realized they're doing this out of habit. It's become habitual. 
And we see that the Lord wants to bring up the purpose of their heart before the Lord. Are we asking those questions of ourselves personally? When, for example, the Lord's Day this morning, did you really come out of a great desire to just remember the Lord? Or was it more out of routine? I come because it's the Lord's Day, and I come because that's what he asked me to do. So is it just becoming this formality, this, this formal religion? Um, did you come this morning to this particular meeting to hear from the mouth of God what he had for you today? Or are we just here because right after breaking bread, we have a time of refreshments, and then we have a message from the Word, and then we go home and we take a nap, and we come back uh, this evening. You see how it becomes mechanical, how it becomes this idea, this, this formality, this is just what we do. And we can see the position that we get into when something just becomes habitual. Sometimes we lose the, you know, it's like, uh, you, you know, if I tell my wife every night before I go to bed, you know, Kathy, I love you. Kathy, I love you. Kathy, I love you. Kathy, I love you. Well, it just becomes routine. And then all of a sudden we just argue, we get upset, this and that, we go to bed, Kathy, I love you. You know, um, you know it, it, it just becomes this, it's, it's not really real. And so what God wants them to recognize is that God wants what's real more than he wants just us to follow habitually. He wants what's real. What this message is not saying, and I want to be clear about this, this is, this is not a message given with excuse to not be at the meetings. That would be the situation the children of Israel were under before captivity. They were under this issue of idolatry. To not attend the meetings, to not consider being with the saints an important thing, to not exercise your gift, to not worship the Lord corporately, to not do the, command, the, the, the commands, the, the desires of the Lord's heart given in the New Testament, to, not, to put something else before that is an issue of idolatry. So what I'm dealing with this morning is what the children of Israel are going through, this formality. Uh, like I say, so I don't want this to be an excuse not to attend meetings or, or not to participate in things. Um, but it is a matter of more than participating in something, the Lord cares about our character. He cares about who we are on a day-to-day -day basis, not the fact that we come to church every Sunday and maybe go through these motions. Uh, we see that this is the problem that the children of Israel face, that by the time they get to Malachi, the Lord is so fed up with everything, he just says, just stop. Just stop bringing the sacrifices. Stop the new moon offerings. Stop these things because you're doing what I ask, but your hearts are far from me. We don't want to get there. We want to, you know, nip it in the bud. We want to get back on track. We want to be like these two men that were sent to ask these questions now to get right with the Lord. And so, should I weep in the fifth month and fast? as I have done for so many years. Maybe that's the question for you guys. Um, should I continue in this work? Should I continue to serve in this way? Um, coming to the meetings, you know, am I just coming just to come? The one thing that the prophets hated, the one thing that the Lord hates is hypocrisy. Don't just come because you want to put on a good show. <laughs> come because you really want to be there. You really want to serve. You really want to... Uh, worship the Lord. So we have this. The question goes out. 
the priests don't know because here in verse 4 it says, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, this is Zechariah, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? Um, I don't know about you guys, but that really just hit a chord with me when I was preparing for this a, a, a couple months ago and I was looking at this portion. Uh, we've all kind of been asked a, a question similar to that, where our knee-jerk reaction, we come to find out, is not really true. The knee-jerk reaction and answer for the children of Israel would be, of course, we, we fasted for you and we wept for you. You know, we were in captivity all these years, and he says, really? Now, this is God speaking. He knows the answer. He knows what's true in these individuals' hearts. And by bringing up this question again, we can assume that the answer was, no, not really. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked again. So we, we have this issue of, uh, uh, I, I bring up Kathy again, you know, Josh may not experience this, but you first married, your wife wants to be a great wife. She just, she, she wants to take care of her husband. She wants that ideal of everything that she thought married life would be. And she has this habit of trying new recipes. <laughs> and sometimes the recipes are just fabulous. And you're like, this is fantastic. This is what married life I was expecting. You know, you come home and a meal is prepared and it just tastes so good. Then there are other times where you come home and she tries something new, but maybe she doesn't feel like following the recipe because she doesn't like all the ingredients. And I tell her, you know, somebody created this with the intent of using all the ingredients. And uh, <laughs> you, you take a bite and you, you take it and you, it's like, you know, and she says, do you like it? And you say, yeah, I like it. And she looks at you and says, do you, do you really like it? <laughs> no, I don't know. No, I don't really like it. You know, don't, don't make, the, make that other one you made yesterday. Don't make this one that you made tonight. And so what happens is they, they, they know that the answer you're giving is not sincere. So these people have gone through this formality. You figure 90 years has gone by. They've, they've done these fasts. They've, they've proclaimed these things. They've been weeping all this time. And now all of a sudden, it's being brought to their attention that they didn't even realize that they weren't doing it for the Lord. They were doing it just because they wanted to do something. The question is, why were they doing it? And why did it not please God that they were fasting? Because if, if anyone were to ask, do you think it's a good idea to fast before the Lord? We would say, yes, it's a good idea to fast before the Lord. So we're going to try to find out why it is that it wasn't such a good situation, why God wasn't as happy as the people thought he would be. So just think of that question. One of the things that struck me when this came up, uh, the hardest one to answer, like we had the ones before, did you really come to remember the Lord? Did you really come to hear from the mouth of God this morning? One of the ones that always strikes the chord is, do you really love the Lord? Knee-jerk reaction. Yes, of course I love the Lord. Do you really love the Lord? That's something we want to ask ourselves today. That's, that's what I believe the application is going to be. Because in the Old Testament, what was given to the people was prescribed. Do this, do that, get this done, do it this way, don't do it that way. 
Um, as somebody said, why? It was just do it. Do it that way. This is how it's done. We don't really see an explanation of why in the Old Testament or how certain things were going to be accomplished. We have all these promises that God is giving to the children of Israel, and it doesn't seem that ever once they said, well, how are you going to do this considering that we are such a wicked people? How is this going to happen? We don't really see that question answered in the Old Testament, and we don't really see this question of why are we doing all of these things answered. So in today... We don't have this list of prescribed laws, do this, do that, do this, do that. And when we say, well, why, the answer is not just do it. The answer is explained. We are still to do it, but we are friends of God. We are his children. He's bringing us in on the, the information. He's telling us why we do the things that we do and how certain things are going to be accomplished. He... He's brought us into a uh, much richer position that he asks us to do these things out of love for him, not just because he said so and there will be punishment if we don't. We're treated now as sons and no longer as slaves. So we have this idea that God has, we're here this morning because God has asked us to be here. He doesn't demand that you be here. He doesn't punish you if you don't come. But he's asked you to be here. And given the love that he has, we return that in showing up. But we want to make sure that we showed up today because we love the Lord, not because it's become routine. So that's what we're going to consider. Do we really love the Lord? Verse 6. When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Uh, verse 6 is a strange verse. When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? And sometimes we might make more out of that trying to figure out what it is. But when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's really a simple question. I struggled with this the first time I read it. And then thinking about it, I said, well, if God were to just ask me this question, I would just say, yeah. So, yeah, the answer is yeah. So it says, should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets? We have this issue that God is starting to unravel for the children of Israel. Did we fast because we were disobedient in everything else? And now that we think fasting is going to bring us back into light and fellowship with God, that we're just going to continue to not live the day-to-day, -day, but we're going to do these extraordinary things in the fifth and seventh months, and will be brought back into favor with God. God's saying that's not the case. And that's not the case for us. God wants us to do the basics, not the extraordinary. He wants us to walk with him on a day-to-day -day basis, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, not just while we're serving in a church activity. This is a, a lifestyle. We, we've been born again. We are a new creation. The old man has been put behind us. We don't need to pick up those clothes again. So it's this idea that the Lord is starting to show the children of Israel that denying themselves food is, is simply between them and the food. If they choose not to, we fast for a purpose to grow closer to God, that we would be able to discern the mind of God, that we would not be consumed with the things of this world. And every time we realize we're hungry, 
or we'd like to eat something, it's a reminder to seek the face of God. It's a means to go closer. It's not a meritorious work. You don't get credit just because you fast. Um, We look at there's many religions out there that fast for months at a time, and they don't discern the mind of God at all. But they're fasting, and they're working real hard, but they don't know anything about what God really wants. So it's not this idea, it's not a meritorious work. It's a means to, to get to know the person of God. So we have this idea, should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Just do the, just do the day-to-day. Don't worry about the extraordinary. So for us, he gives this list here to the children of Israel. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice, show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor, let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. These are the things that, out of all the things God commanded in the Old Testament that he decides to focus on at this given time. To execute true justice. Uh, it's, it's kind of a tough one because when you go back to the Old Testament and you look up this idea of justice, a lot of it has to deal with giving things to the poor, helping those that are sick, that are lame, the, the fatherless, the widows. It's this idea of you see something that sin has caused. Sin has caused this idea of illness, of being poor, of not having enough, of being oppressed. And when you see this, you are to try to do what you can to restore that. So you have somebody that uh, maybe has plenty, and you see somebody that is homeless and has nothing. Well, to execute true justice is also to, to give this homeless person with no food some food to eat, some clothes, some shelter. And all of a sudden, the, the effects of sin that have caused these things, true justice will be executed. Now, can we accomplish this in our own strength? Of course not. But this is what the Lord is asking. Another idea of true justice would be, it's easy to us, for us to execute true justice when we've been wronged and the justice falls on somebody else. True justice would be even when I do things wrong, to have the justice fall on me, to, to be honest about these things. It's easy to say, you know, so-and-so stole my thing, go get it back, give me interest, and then put him in jail. It's another thing when I've stole something and falling under that judgment to say, I stole this, here's this back with interest, and I'll get into my cell. That's a different story. We have here this idea right after it, show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. If we were to execute true justice and I were to take something from somebody, to execute true justice, to come back and say, I took this from you, here is it back with interest upon it, I'm sorry for the wrong I've caused, for that person to turn right back around and show mercy and compassion. You see how all of a sudden everything's kind of taken care of? That all of a sudden the, the world would see something that the world has never seen before? True fellowship, true peace with one another? All of this is what God has intended. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. How do people get what they get in this world. Normally it's by oppressing somebody else. Uh, we see this throughout history. We see it now in third world countries where they have this dictator and you have 1% of a group of people 
living like kings and the other 99% living in squalor. Um, what have they done? They've oppressed everybody else so that they can be exalted. So this is what the Lord is, is concerned with. And he gets to the idea of the heart. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. So it's amazing how sometimes people read the Bible and they think the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Uh, I would say let's turn to Zechariah chapter 7 and let's look. Because God here is concerned with the heart of the individual to not plan evil, to not think evil against his brother. There, there is this idea the mind of God is concerned with the truth. He's not concerned with these trivial things. The outward is just an outward manifestation. It's supposed to be a symbol of what's taking place in the heart. We see that that's not the case uh, at this given time. And we want to ask ourselves that same question. During a week, are we coming to certain meetings, putting on one mask, and then the minute the meetings are over, the work is over, we take the mask off and we go and we do what we want to do. Um, that is really the term hypocrisy, uh, to, to put that mask on. Do we do these extraordinary things because we really don't want to do the day-to-day -day things that the Lord has asked us to do? To be holy, to love one another, to exercise our gifts, to take the lower place, to put everyone else's needs before our own, and to follow Christ, to be willing to suffer humiliation, to proclaim his name and the gospel, and to be a living testimony, meaning that we know we're going to suffer if we do this. Well, I tell you what, I won't do that, but I'll come on Sunday, I'll help out on this day, and I'll, I'll be more involved at these meetings. That's not really what the Lord is, is after. And I think that's what he's getting at here. It's not about the fasts. And we'll see in chapter 8 tonight that he answers this question more so than he did in chapter 7. We have a warning in verse 11. It says, but they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their uh, hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed and they would not hear, so they called out and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them so that no one passed through or returned for they made the pleasant land desolate. So it wasn't the fact that they were sent into captivity because they didn't fast enough. And I think uh, this idea here that the, the Lord is telling the people, because remember, these two individuals are coming because it's a bigger issue. Um, they were sent to, to, to bring this question. They're going to get back and they're going to say, you know, we don't have to fast in the fifth and seventh months. It's not a, it's not a requirement. And they say, well, what, well, then what do we do? And he's going to tell them to execute true justice, <laughs> to show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. And they're probably going to say, you mean every day? Every day? Like, I have to be this way? Um, that's what the Lord is after. This day-to-day -day life. 
uh, not just what we see when we come together on Sunday, not just what we see when we help out in an activity, uh, a day-to-day -day testimony that says to the world, we belong to the Lord, and he lives within us. And you can see him if you look at me. Um, we see Paul saying, follow me even as I follow Christ. It doesn't mean follow me all the time. It means follow me when I'm following Christ, uh, meaning we are going to slip up. We are going to have issues. Um, but as much as I follow Christ, follow that portion of me. Uh, don't follow the mistakes. And this idea of being willing to discern the mind of God, that's what we want to focus on today. So when we ask that question again, do you really love the Lord? God asks us again. Do you really love the Lord? If we all were to ask ourselves that question, we know what the answer is. The Lord says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And when we think about our day-to-day -day life, we know that no amount of work that I can do could change the fact that I, I don't keep all those commandments. The beauty of it is there's nothing you can do to make the Lord love you less. He loves you with the fullest love that we can't even understand. And it's not going to change. There's nothing that can separate us. So the moment that we realize we're not keeping those commandments, let that thought come into your mind. There's nothing you can do to make the Lord love you less. There's nothing you can do to make the Lord love you more. When that thought comes into your mind, let that love fill you up. And let's ask ourselves that question again. And if it's not true, the Lord will bring to mind those things that make it not true. And then we're going to work on those things. We're going to, as Paul tells Timothy, we're going to exercise ourselves toward godliness. It's an exercise. It's going to hurt a little bit. It takes a lot of effort. And... Uh, I know for me, there is nothing that I despised more than getting up at 4.30 in the morning and going to the gym. I despised it so much that I stopped four years ago. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to get that started again. We're going to exercise ourselves toward godliness, though. Um, I just want to leave you really with that. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to close a little early, but this idea... Uh, what we can learn from the children of Israel, what we can learn from the Word of God, even in this Old Testament, these people had this burning question that they could not wait to have answered. They had uh, been revived to such a point that all of a sudden their relationship with God was real. It was not just based on these ordinances that they do and these feasts and fasts that they kept. It was a real relationship. And they got to the point where they knew they could ask God and that God would, in fact, answer the question that they had. Um, we have a greater relationship today in that the Lord himself, the Spirit of God, dwells within us. Let's take advantage of it. Let, let, let's ask those questions because we know we're going to hear from the Lord. We know he's going to answer us because we know he loves us. Um, let's not uh, continue in a way uh, where it becomes this formal, mechanized religion. Let's have a, a reality in our lives. And when we speak of revival, as we have for the last maybe two or three years that I can remember, we're really speaking of a reality of Christ within us. We want to see Christ in each one of us. 
and we want to further that, that when we leave this building and we go out, the world sees Christ in each one of us. We can't do it by ourselves. We are here to be exercised, to encourage one another, to use our gifts, to humble ourselves. And uh, I was speaking with my brother, and he asked me this question, well, how do you become more humble? I said, it's easy. You just get humiliated more. You can't get the humility without the humiliation. There is a point in time where living for Christ is going to be humiliating. You're going to be looked at as a fool. You're going to be looked at as out of, out of time with time. And it's not, uh, it's not seen as a good thing. In fact, you'll, you'll be uh, staunchly opposed if you live for Christ. Um, so if you do it, don't worry. You'll get the humility. It, it'll, it'll come with time. So... Uh, just an encouragement to everybody uh, also to, to come out tonight to see what the Lord had for them. We see that after this portion, he gives them a ton of promises, and he just gives them encouragement after encouragement. But again, he doesn't really tell them how or why he's going to accomplish it. Just tell them he's going to do it. Uh, so come out tonight, and, and we'll go through the rest of the, the chapter 8 to finish off that context. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we are thankful to be here, uh, we are thankful that we are part of a family, that we have been uh, born again by the blood of your Son, that indeed it's no matter of work or effort that's achieved, but it, it's really just a yielding uh, to your grace and, and to your love for us, and that your Son died in our place. And Father, when we think of that, it just brings us great joy. And we pray that uh, we would understand more fully the love that you have for us, the love that your son has for us, that we might in turn out of love live this life that you would want us to, uh, that we would be holy for you are holy, that we would take the lower place, that we would seek to uh, provoke one another to love and to good works, that we would show mercy and compassion, that we would execute true justice. Uh, these are still things that we, we seek to do. And, Father, we know that it can only be done through your Spirit. We ask that you would uh, lead and guide by your Spirit, uh, that we would all be of one mind as we are all in this one body. Uh, we do pray that we would seek to build one another up and be a greater testimony for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.